My guest today is Publishers Weekly bestselling author Emily P. Freeman. Her latest book is called The Next Right Thing, which just happens to be the same name as her podcast. Today, we're going to talk about being exactly who you are, wherever you go, and sharing from that centered place. We'll also talk a bit about writing, listening to our bodies, the overflow nature of leadership, and more. Emily is the author of The Next Right Thing and Simply Tuesday. As host of The Next Right Thing podcast, she helps create space for the soul to breathe, offering fresh perspective on the sacredness of our inner life with God. Emily and her husband live in North Carolina with their three children. So let's get into the conversation. Well, Emily, it is so good to have you back on our podcast. I am thrilled to be back here, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know if you know this, but you have the distinction of being the first second time guest. The first, second time guest. I love that. That's a delightful distinction. You win the award for being on here twice. So (laughs) it's good to have you. Of course, uh, one of the reasons we're talking today, of course, is to talk about your book, The Next Right Thing, which is going gangbusters. Let's brag about you for a minute. I will do it for you. Or maybe you can tell me because I don't know if I know the exact thing. You are a Publishers Weekly bestselling author. Am I right? That's right. Yes. Publishers Weekly, which is so great. They um, they publish, it's funny, each week, Jim, they, they publish the number of books sold, which is really the only um, the only list I've seen that does that. And so you can kind of see where you're falling that week, you know, and like, you know, the one that sold the most and then the next one and the next one. And so, yeah, next right thing was number six or seven, I think seven on that list when it came out, which was super encouraging and kind of a surprise, honestly. Well, it's a thrill, I think, to to be um, so popular in that way. I mean, I didn't know that about Publishers Weekly. So then if you're book number one million, can you see? I mean, how far down? <laughs> I think they stop at 25. Okay. Let's say I was number 500,000. Right. Wouldn't that be interesting though? Like I wish they kind of worked. I was actually very interested right then. But anyway, so congratulations. It's been so fun to watch you and actually learn from you as you've been marketing and talking about your book. And I've read the whole thing. I'm one of those podcasters who actually read the whole book. So impressive. So, and I am always inspired by your writing. There is something, um, I'm actually realizing that my writing style is similar in this and that I do like to start with story and, um, and writing flows from that. And we're actually going to aim at that conversation in a minute, but I did want you to take some time just to, uh, tell our listeners again, more about you, uh, the book and what it's about. Sure. Well, I started, um, you know, I've written, before this book came out, I'd published four books previously. My last book came out in 2015. And I was so excited about having some open space to, you know, to maybe try out different types of creativity, maybe not be under book contract for a while. But, you know, as might be expected from someone who writes books for a living. Um, Six months later, I was kind of like, okay, what's my next book? You know, it just was like a natural thing because I had developed this rhythm of life of, you know, write the book, edit the book, launch the book, 
think of the next book idea. And I'd done that four times. So I had an idea for a book about decision-making. And because I had was paying attention to all the ways that unmade decisions held power in my own life, um, power to distract me, power to cause me to pay more attention to certain conversations or as I read certain books or different things. Because, I mean, let's face it, when you have a decision to make, especially if it's a big decision that's going to impact not only your life, but the life of your family and people close to you, it, it holds some power. And if you don't have what you need to make that decision or don't feel like you have what you need to make it, um, it can be a real distraction until the decision is made. So I recognized that whole, you know, I was kind of orbiting around that whole concept. I couldn't even say it as clearly as I just did, which by the way, wasn't very clear, but I couldn't even kind of articulate it quite even like that. I just knew there's something about the decision-making process that is fascinating to me as a human person, but also um, in our own spiritual formation and in our life with God. And I just thought how interesting it is, it would be to dive into this concept of decision-making and how um, it informs the way we relate with God. Because if we never had a decision to make I don't know if I pray about anything, you know, especially in the beginning. It's like, well, everything's kind of decided, but these these question marks force us um, to draw close to them many times. So I had that idea, and I even ran it by my editor, who had edited my other books, and she was kind of like, mm-hmm, "That's great." Like she she was like interested only because she likes me, but not necessarily like you know. It didn't I think she was kind of like keep working. <laughs> And so I did, but I really thought like, Jim, I thought this is my next book. Like I'm going to, you know, in January, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to outline it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it, attack it the way I have my other books, not attack. That's a bad way to say it, but kind of dive into it and get fully immersed in this concept. Well, I tried to do that and it just was not coming out in the way that I, number one, expected it to, wanted it to, number two, or number three, in the way that my other books had. And it was infinitely discouraging to the point that I was just like, well, I guess I'm done writing books. I guess that was a nice run, but maybe I just don't have what it takes anymore. And so I kind of put it aside. Meanwhile, at that same time, I was paying attention to all the ways I was consuming content, which was audiobooks, podcasts. Um, and I also had started, um, I had joined the scripture reading team at my church. And so I was reading scripture in the service, maybe once or, you know, once a month. And I loved that. Um, I just loved speaking true words out into the room. It was something about it that was, um, I don't know if the words empowering or was, um, it just was true and it resonated deeply within me. And those weren't words I wrote. Those were words of scripture. Um, so long story short, short story long, as my friend Shannon Martin would say, I, I realized like, okay, maybe if this decision-making idea isn't coming out as a book, if, if only there was another way I could explore it, if only there was a way I could, I don't know, talk through it. If only there was a medium that let you just kind of <laughs> say words and you could kind of, you know, navigate it as you went along in short spurts. And of course I realized there isn't, it's called podcasting. And so that's when I decided, what if this, what if my exploring of this, how decision-making influences um, our life with God and our life with one another in community. What if I explored it in the medium of a podcast? And it was then when everything started to fall into place. I was able to outline it. Not, I didn't outline, you know, from first episode till where I am now, but I had about 10, eight to 10 episodes in my mind. Um, and that's what started. I thought, well, 
I've always loved the phrase, the next right thing. That has been a grounding decision-making um, principle for me of just doing the next right thing instead of my tendency, which is first, I have to know the next 20 things before I can do the next one right thing. Um, but practicing doing the next right thing. And then of course, working on the content for the podcast, um, man, it's really been transformative for me. Life-changing. I could even say, um, this whole, over the last couple of years of really circling around this concept in podcast form. Oh, wow. Well, you, you just opened up about three or four new conversations. I have to decide what (laughs) that was a lot of really good stuff, but I'm one, one thing I heard you say that I really resonate with is, um, I'm also on the reading team. I don't know what we call it at our church. I'm a reader. Yeah. And, um, I found myself having that same sensation as you of, oh, this is so beautiful. This is true. Mm-hmm. This is right. And everyone's agreeing at the end. Yes, this is the word of the Lord. And uh, there's something so beautiful about that proclamation. Yeah. And another thing that I'm drawn in by that is um, over the last few years, I've been doing better as I listen to scripture more so than actually reading it. There's something That's fascinating. About, there's something about hearing it Mm-hmm. That has been doing a different work in me because one well, number one, I think I, when I listen that way, I listen to more longer. Yeah, and so you get a more sweeping feel of a gospel story or something or a few chapters. Um, but there is something about that spoken word that is true. That's true. Yeah, and that just that declaration at the end. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely oh. true. It's given to us in love. I mean. It is. And to be able to say that in community, because that's the piece that I think has been missing for me for a long time in my own formation, is that I think spiritual formation in my mind when I was younger was like, this is an individual practice. This is something I do on my own. Um, But having to explore this concept, number one, in a podcast where there's listeners who who write back and who you can interact with and knowing that though I'm in a room alone with microphone, I'm aware of a listener who's going to receive this content when it drops. And that's, that's another piece that's was missing for me, I think in some ways, um, but was really powerful. Cause it's like that, that immediate kind of, it's a conversation. It's, it's one-sided, but in a way it's not because I hear from listeners, you know, yeah. and there's something really beautiful that happens um, when you're able to kind of have that give and take conversationally. Oh, I love that. We have the same dynamic here when you get notes from people and, you know, we do our weekly emails on Wednesdays and whenever someone responds, I get so excited because I know that they're sharing from their life, how they were impacted and that, that, that interaction is key. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to what I started when, before I asked this first question, I was going down the, 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 the alleyway of story you know, and even just bringing up the gospels, it's full of story and how Jesus interacted with people. But I noticed in your writing that most of the chapters, if not all, start with some sort of story from your own life. And I've seen that emerge as my way of making my way into whatever it is I want to say that might be a teaching or an insight. For some reason, for me, it has had to come through an actuality before the insight seems like I can make my way to it. I don't know if that's exactly the way you would describe what you do. But I am always drawn in. Uh, every, I don't remember what chapter it was, but I loved the boat story. You were on a boat or you saw the big, the big yacht or whatever. Yeah. If you haven't bought the book, buy the book and read the chapter that has the yacht. It's, it's not only a beautiful chapter, but it's beautiful writing. Mm. 
So this isn't necessarily a conversation about writing, but since I have you, the what the founder of Hope Writers, <laughs> yeah, one of yeah, yes, three, there's three of us, <laughs> one of the founders. So I just I would love to talk about writing just for a minute. And um, why do you start with story? And how is there a reason that you make your way into what you're saying because of that as well? You know, God has wired us to um, when we hear the beginning of a story, he's wired us to lean in and want to know what happens next. Mm. It's why when I'm listening to a podcast and I have to stop it in the middle, if someone's telling a story, I'm going to wait to the end. It's just, you don't, you don't stop. You're like, well, I got it. It's got it. It's like an unresolved musical note. You want to hear where is this headed? Um, and I'm not, a, you know, I wouldn't say I'm like this master storyteller, but I, I do think I've learned that one thing is that um, even in doing, um, you know, when I first started doing radio interviews for being an author, you know, I'd get asked to be on. And, and my dad is a 29-year radio broadcasting veteran. He was, he did morning shows for years. Um, and so he, he had a lot of experience of kind of what resonates with a listener and how to capture an audience attention. And, and he would tell me when I first started out having to do these radio interviews that I was endlessly nervous about because hello, like live radio, what is happening? I, I would forget everything I knew. I forget my name. And they're like asking me anyway, it's a whole thing yeah. as I'm sure you understand kind of what that is, but I will be. <laughs> you will. <laughs> if you don't yet, you will. Um, but I was really nervous. But I, but he taught me that if you can, um, no matter what question you're asked, kind of like a politician, if you can find a way to tell a story as an answer, even a short one, okay. you're going to connect more with that with that audience because with that listener. Because if you think about any sermon that we've heard or any 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 teacher or anything, a lot of times we don't really remember the three points, but we remember the stories because they, they, they paint a picture in our minds, um, that we can't get rid of if we tried. And so as a writer, I think that's the gift we can give to readers, even when we're writing nonfiction, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important and helpful as much as I can to provide some type of anchoring, um, an anchoring, a picture for the imagination in the form of story. Now, part of that's intentional, but there's another part of it that's just, um, it's easier to get into a chapter by starting with a story. You know, it just kind of, that's just kind of makes more sense to me in my mind. But when I tease it out, I do think it's because there's really something built within us as humans made in God's image um, to lean in when we hear that story in the beginning. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, that's how God starts. He starts with stories like, oh, well, what happened in the beginning? You know, we, we want to know. So it's, it's really brilliant. It is. Yeah, you're right. When I'm listening to a sermon, if I find myself wandering, if a story starts, I'm, I come right back in. Immediately. It's, yeah. It is so, so true. It makes me think too, you know, the, you remember the old term we used to use back in the day called witnessing? Do you remember those old school yeah. Christianese <laughs> sort of words? Uh-huh. I think about that sometimes in this regard, you know, being a witness is just telling what you know, and that involves some form of a story from your life. Mm -hmm. How much more interesting conversations would we have if we were just saying what happened? This is what happened to me. Right. It's so true. It's like if you, if you witness a car accident and the police yeah. says, what happened? You start out with, well, I was, I came out of the grocery store and then I saw she backed up and then, you know, I mean, you're, yeah. you're going to tell it in a story form. It might not be interesting, but it's, <laughs> it's, that's what a witness does. Right. We just tell what we know. 
Anyway, not that I'm trying to bring back those old school words, but sometimes I think about that. Maybe we could give refreshed meaning to old words that sort of lost their way. It's just I like it. It's just saying what you know. Yeah. Which means you have to live a life with God in God that has something to tell about. That's right. Spiritual formation. Anyway, so spoiler alert. I wanted to talk about one particular chapter in this conversation that I was really drawn to. I think the title of it was called Walk Into a Room. I just really love that. And maybe it struck me because of where I'm at right now. So it's about being who I am, no matter the circumstances. It's not about who I think I'm supposed to be or who I wish I were. In fact, you say, here's a sentence, the trouble comes when I'm not sure if being like me is good enough, acceptable, or approved by you. What I always come back around to eventually is the discovery that my job is to listen to Jesus and then to be myself no matter who else is in the room. I love that. So I'm wondering, can you talk just a bit about, I think in there also you talked about your scattering and your false narratives um, and how you bring yourself back to this reality. Well, all that came from um, an invitation that was extended to me to speak in Portland at a writer's conference. And I love talking with writers about writing. It's one of my favorite things to do, as you and I have already done a little bit in this conversation. Yes. Um, But when I got that invitation, I knew a little bit about that conference, and I knew a little bit about the people who attended it. And I also knew, or at least I assumed that I knew, that they were way cooler than me. I mean, Portland, Jim, like I'm from the East Coast, North Carolina, which we're cool in our own way. We're not Portland cool, right? And so I was invited to come out there and, you know, I've heard before that, you know, your acceptance is in the invitation. If you're invited, then you're accepted. And I can say that to someone else, but um, as the receiving end of the person on, you know, who's being invited, it's hard to make sure, it's hard to believe that those two things always go together. So I almost said no to it. And it's really embarrassing when we get down to it, some of the ways we make our decisions, some of the things we base our next right thing moves on. Sometimes it's just like, I don't want to look stupid. Or if we're not self-aware, it's like, I'm afraid. I have lots of fear, but we say it's like a scheduling thing. You know, it's like, well, it's just not going to work out, but really, you know, I don't, I want them to like me. And it's not, it's so nuanced here because like you said in that quote, um, it's not that I want to fit in with them and be like them. I want to be like me. I'm just not sure if being like me is okay. And so I think there's a big difference between um, those of us who say, you know, well, you don't have to, you know, you be yourself. You don't, you don't have to fit in with other people. It's like, well, I, it's, it, I, I just want to, um, I want to belong as myself. I don't want to fit in and look like you. And it's tricky and it's nuanced. Um, and it's honestly kind of gross. Sometimes it can be, it can be lovely if we examine some of that stuff in Christ's presence, but it can also be kind of gross if we kind of try to, we can turn inward and get weird. But I ended up saying yes to that conference invitation. And I went and the people were lovely and many of them were very different for me, but many of them in our differences, we found lots of common ground. And um, many of them were a lot like me and I was grateful for that experience. But what it reminded me of is the power of walking into a room and that, um, you know, I just finished grad school this past spring and two years in grad school and people ask, what did you learn? And I feel like one of the biggest things I learned was how to walk into a room. Um, because as myself, not as 
um, some version of you that I think you'll like better, or um, as kind of focusing on me rather than being able to look out and see who is there before me um, in the presence of God and sort of thinking of like, I, oh, I want to see them. I don't want to wonder what they're seeing in me, which took two years of grad school <laughs> slash deep work. And I mean, I'm, I've been learning that all my life, you know, I feel like, th- but this was another layer of that. Um, so, so all that to say, I do think that there is in that question that you asked, there's a lot of, um, years of self-reflection that has happened. Um, but that the idea of walking into a room sounds very simple, but being able to do it in a way that is wholehearted, I think you have to come through a lot of um, complex looking at yourself um, in ways that aren't always comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm, that is why I resonated with that chapter. I, in my own way, I didn't go to grad school, but I, along with Alan, started Unhurried Living three years ago. And that's a whole kind of grad school in and of itself. It starting, totally is. Starting yes. an, an, an entire organization from nothing, which you can't hardly, is from nothing. I mean, what we're offering here is our life's work. It, yeah. The process of becoming who we are to give Unhurried Living has been lifelong, as you say. But man, I feel like I've been thrown into this whole place and um, in my own way, learning to walk into a room. Yeah. And what does that really mean? And as you said, the many layers of that, the, the, the inner work, the conversations, the um, getting a, I guess, a refreshed view of what of myself, but also of the people that I'm serving. Is it really just about me looking cool? This is, I, I actually, I actually have wrestled with that too. I want to be cool. Like for some reason, I don't know why when you're 55, I don't even know if you can be cool. Can you be cool? I don't even know (laughs) these days, but I do care about these things. Do I look good? Do I sound smart? You know, and my perfectionism kicks in and then all, everything gets strangled when that happens. Yeah. My creativity goes away. I just in January slash February slash March had a pretty severe bout of anxiety that that had a real stranglehold on me. So I've taken another actual spiral down in this whole thing. What am I doing here? Why is anxiety gripping me so much? And it had a lot to do with um, me feeling ready for what is coming Mm. and um, bringing all of the future into the moment, which is absolutely not doable, but I was trying and I felt I was crushed under the weight. That's right. Completely crushed. And so I think that's why I really resonated with this chapter because it's um, that, I always hate to use the word balance because I don't know if anybody could ever have balance, but I'm going to use the word anyway. It's that balance of coming to terms with who I actually am, who God actually is. What am I doing in this room? Who are these people? How can God's love flow through me? I don't have to quote, do something, right? But anyway, I feel like I'm wanting now, but I, I just wanted to say that I just really resonated with that journey in my own way. Hmm. So maybe that leads to my next question, which I think I shared a little bit about already, but there's a, um, you talked about a physical feeling of disintegration. Maybe we can expand on that a little bit. 
um, of being off kilter. And, and it's actually been my body itself that's been letting me know uh, very loudly when I am capable of um, bearing up under what's going on or if I'm putting too much pressure on myself. It's just not letting me pretend. Like I used to be able to have enough energy or I used to go in denial or something. I don't know what I did. But for some reason, my body isn't letting me do that anymore. <laughs> so I'm seeing it as a gift now. But can you talk a bit more about how your body is speaking to you, um, how you're listening to it? Um, how is it guiding you? We're never taught how to listen to our bodies, really. I wasn't. Maybe some people were, but I wasn't. I was taught how to um, pay attention to the facts. I also wasn't taught to honor my feelings. I was taught that those are, and, and I'm not saying I was didactically taught, but just I picked it up along the way that facts are the most important and feelings and intuition and body um, are to fall behind the facts. And while I guess there are situations where that's true, um, I do think there is a there is a more well-rounded um, way of seeing it where the facts and the feelings and the intuition, which is kind of the body space, can all play really well together and need one another to fully inform our lives and our decisions and our relationships. When I pay attention to my own body, and I'm still learning this, one thing I've learned is that I carry work stress in my jaw and my shoulders, mm -hmm. and I carry relational stress in my stomach. And so when I am in an interaction, I mean, I can feel it happening. And I, the thing is, is I'm a feeler first. So first it will be a feeling that I have that I can't, I could probably name the feeling, but I can't tell you why. Um, but it, the feeling comes and then the body sensation will come and I'm like, okay, I just had an interaction with a person and my stomach is in knots. Um, but I might not even like my head is the last one to catch up like my thinker. And so I might not know until the end of the day, or if I, if I, I'm learning to hear those signals from my body sooner so that the gap between the feeling and the naming of the feeling, um, isn't so isn't so drastic because what happens when we don't, when we can't, and you see how all those three play together. When I, when there's too long of a time between that relational stomach, not situation, or even the work one in my jaw and my shoulders, when I don't take the time to release it, to let it go in God's presence. And which for me would be like a daily examine or a daily recognizing of, okay, here's the thing. I had my stomach in knots all day. Why? Why was that? And taking the time to name it, it can go on for weeks, months, or years oh, yeah. and cause all kind, wreak all kind of havoc on our bodies and our health. I mean, it happens all the time. How, oh, yeah. I mean, we are, you know, so interconnected. God made us so interconnected and science backs that up. That's not just me. <laughs> right. And so it's just so important to, to recognize and to begin to learn where do I carry relational stress? Where do I carry, um, you know, work stress or um, fear? Where does fear live in my body? I think all those things, and I'm, again, I'm learning some of those things, but I think it's such a valuable practice of paying attention to. Oh yeah. I, like you, and probably like many women, don't we all sort of get these same messages and we end up on this same track in our own way? And it's interesting to hear you name where your stresses are because I think mine are in the same way. It's mm -hmm. my shoulders and my, and my, I don't know, I guess I would call it my gut. Sometimes I, I name it, it's a spot in between 
Yep. It's like right in the center here. You guys can't see me pointing to my, (laughs) I guess it's between my diaphragm and my gut. I don't know. There's that spot. Oh, I can just feel it. And what I said earlier is true. I, I was able to somehow, it took my life, my whole life for me to finally feel overwhelmed enough by my body to go, Oh, I think it's telling me something. (laughs) What a gift though. Right. That's I'm seeing it as pure gift right now. Not when it was happening. Sure. No, no. When it was happening, it was horrible. And I thought it was never going to end. And I thought there's something really wrong with me. I'm having a heart attack right now. What is happening? Mm -hmm. This is not right. And I could not be more grateful now though, that my body got in front of the microphone. That's right. And start. And so now I am listening and I, and I don't think I can ever not listen again because of how um, into my cells now this lesson was mm-hmm. given to me. So I think that's good for us to listen to our bodies. Yeah, that's good. It's in your cells. That's good, Jim. It seems as though, I don't know if this is an aging thing. I, I know I keep bringing up my age. I'm sorry about that. Why am I doing that? But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm just so painfully aware. There's just so many things as women, when you get into your fifties, your body actually is changing in a very big way. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know that till I got here because no one ever really talked to me about it. And I wasn't asking, I didn't even know to ask. And so now I'm being hit with all these realities, but there is something good about this season of life where I do feel like a lot of things are going down into my cells in all the hmm. different ways. So that, um, almost you get to the point where you don't have a choice, but in a good way mm-hmm. to live in a different way, whether it be something emotionally or psychologically or relationally or physically. Um, it's for real now. And I'm actually enjoying, enjoying that right now when I'm in my right mind, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> not in the midst of the moment when it's occurring, but in my right mind, I'm loving that, that idea of everything going deeper, becoming more real and authentic. Mm, that's good. So, anyway, we're just about out of time. Maybe I could just ask one more question. Um, there's another phrase in this chapter, and it's exactly what we offer here at Unheard Living, which is why I think it stuck out to me. Um, you said, I want to remember that true ministry is not something we do, but is the overflow of an abiding life with God. I mean, that's basically our tagline, rest deeper, live fuller, lead better. Yes. It's an overflow. And I've, I've loved that word for years. Um, what I'm finding out about this is that it's the only sustainable way to live, which harkens back to the conversation we were just having. Ha- having. How much more important has it been for me to get centered, to be filled by God, whatever that means for me in my life, and then to simply share that? Yeah. So... I'm wondering if you can share with us this last this last insight. How do you nurture this abiding way of life for yourself? And then what do you notice about the overflow in your life? Well, like you said so well, it is shifting kind of what maybe we've always thought about what ministry is kind of on its head. And living in God's kingdom means that um, being an apprentice of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, is the work that that it, being myself with Jesus that is the work whereas we go 
you know, we think instead I'm going to go get trained so I know how to do ministry. And um, it's like ministry isn't something that you do, but that's how we talk about it, right? right? It's kind of the same way, you know, we have all these, like, I know you really like words and meanings and, you know, it's like that word we talked about earlier, witnessing. It's kind of the same thing with ministry. We have an idea like, oh, how do we do ministry? And we'll even talk about doing ministry in a healthy way or in a God honoring way. And, right. you know, we'll kind of programize it and figure out how to do this right. And, you know, whatever. And I think that's, I think the intention is good. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's um, true. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's based on something that's rooted. And so it is kind of um, recognizing that life with Christ is the ministry yes. and it uh-huh. starts with individually, but it cannot be separated from community. Right. Jesus, um, one of uh, a friend of mine, or maybe it was one of my teachers, said that uh, what are the implications that Jesus, when he ascended, when he died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, that he left behind not a book but a community. He left behind disciples, imperfect as they were. Um, and yes, we have scripture, we have the Bible, um, but that came through people. You know, he didn't present us with a book and say, here you go. Here's your instruction manual. Um, Talk about doing the next right thing. Wouldn't that be great? Like (laughs) he wrote it all down, you know, just like that. No, this came over years through a process of community. Um, And so I think that when we think about ministry, it's, um, it can feel very clean and organized to talk about like, let's learn how to do ministry. And it's so, oh, it's so, you know, it's good and it's righteous and it's like clean and, but really like, but then like real community and walking with God can be really messy and confusing and there's doubt in there and people are annoying and I get on my own nerves and they're learning Christ in there. That's the ministry. Yes. Well, thank you, Emily. Always full of wisdom and insight. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> before we go, I just already said before we go, but before we go for real, I <laughs> love it. I would love it if you could tell us how we can find you. What are you doing? What are all your dot coms? All the dot coms. <laughs> I have one main dot com. It's emilypfreeman.com, which is my name. Um, and you can find me really anywhere online, Twitter, Instagram, uh, is at Emily P. Freeman. Um, And then the podcast is also there. You can also go to the Next Right Thing podcast to see all the episodes. We offer transcripts as well. So if you are one who prefers reading rather than listening, you can always, you know, find those there. And then of course the book is available um, at Next Right Thing book or on my website or really most places where books are sold. Of course. Well, all of our unhurried living peeps, you heard it, get the book, The Next Right Thing. Listen to the podcast, The Next Right Thing, and follow Emily, at least on Instagram. I follow her there, and that's where all the beautiful pictures happen and all the loveliness. So get over there. So as always, Emily, it's wonderful to talk with you. Thank you again for being with us. Oh, thanks. Emily never disappoints. Engaging, authentic, and intelligent, I always enjoy my conversations with her. I hope you found a nugget in there somewhere and that you will take it with you into your day. We'll put all the links to All Things Emily on our blog. You can find this episode at unhurriedliving.com slash podcast 79. And as a reminder, we've opened the doors to an unhurried community. 
What if you could be schedule busy and soul unhurried in the very same moment? It really is possible, and we can show you how. An Unhurried Community is your online home for growing in this unhurried way of life. Learning healthy patterns of rest and work can transform your life and your influence. But we can't do this alone. We need the help of seasoned guides and like-minded friends. Think of us as your online spiritual mentors. So come and join the community. Right now, go to unhurriedliving.com community to sign up. And as always, we love connecting with more and more friends like you who want to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better 